0: Hello friends, we're going to continue with the life of Solomon after the temple. Uh, He's just had his big week-long dedication to the temple party with the rest of Israel, and we're going to continue on with that. But before we go there, I want to read some portion of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the Mosaic Law. People have said before that the entire history of Israel from uh, Joshua all the way through to the end of Kings is called a Deuteronomist history, meaning that it's the history of Israel seen through the lens of what Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy. And when things go bad, you can see there's probably a verse somewhere that says, don't go like this or else God can't bless you. Or if you persist like this, God will uh, avenge himself and punish you for it. And so we're going to look at a portion of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy seventeen and see how this is fulfilled or not in our f- chapter of first Kings that we're gonna read. This is Deuteronomy seventeen starting verse fourteen. When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. So this was uh, happened in first Samuel. You may indeed set a king over you whom sorry will choose one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Okay, so here's Solomon. He's the king, and he is one of the brothers. So this is a good thing. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive gold, silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of the of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a book, in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. So the Levites were in charge of making sure that uh, Moses's writings were kept faithfully from one generation to the next. And it shall be with him and he shall read it in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the lord his god by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers that he and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom he and his children in israel Okay, so these are commands for the kings. The first one is that he would be an Israelite. The second one is that he shouldn't go back to Egypt and become. Third is not to become excessively wealthy. The fourth is to remember to adhere to the book of Deuteronomy, the copy of this law, and that he would stay humble by fearing the Lord. And so this is <clears throat> the context. Excuse me. Of all of the kingdom of Israel but also I think a background for when we go to read chapter 9 of Kings and so we'll do that now this is chapter 9 it's after the big party and um, God's going to meet with Solomon and this is going to remind us of when Solomon uh, was up worshiping in the beginning of his reign and God met him and Solomon asked for wisdom. And now God is going to meet with Solomon after Solomon's been asking for God's blessing over the temple and here's God's response. Verse one, chapter nine. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea which you've made before me. I've consecrated this house that you've built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there, will be there for all time. Now let's just press pause. There is this statement forever here, as well as for all time. But in a few verses, God's going to talk about destroying the temple. So when we hear forever or for all time, we need to hear that as potential. Like with faithfulness, this would happen. But because the temple was destroyed due to unfaithfulness, this is, would it would be considered one of these. Con- contingent or conditional promises where God will have his eyes and his heart there for all time depending on whether or not there is faithfulness. There are some promises that God makes by an oath that he commits to fulfilling no matter what but this isn't one of those. As I read it here he's saying my name will dwell there forever and I'll look at this place for all time but then there's a warning. Verse four, as for you if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules that should remind us of the writing out of the book of the law from Deuteronomy then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David your father saying you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel again this should remind us of Deuteronomy just that we just read that if uh, the king humbles himself and remains in the fear of the Lord he, he and his children will be blessed And that's made more specific through the Davidic promise that that blessing means continuing to sit on the throne, to have a lineage that continues on the throne. Verse six, but if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments, my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off, Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the peoples and this house will become a heap of ruins everyone passing by it will be astonished and hiss and they will say why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house then they will say because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So, we have this promise that, so the same way that Solomon in the dream asked for wisdom and God said, I'll do it for you, Sol- God now meets Solomon and says, this: the, your prayer that I would uh, work through the temple, I will do for you, but it's contingent on faithfulness. And if the covenant is broken, then, uh, and their hearts turn away, then, the place and the temple won't save them from their unfaithfulness. You can't build a house that can keep God out, and God will uh, will destroy this stuff as a testimony of Israel's unfaithfulness. And you can maybe even see a connection when God in in this chapter is talking about the king's heart going from elsewhere. Remember in uh, Deuteronomy, it talked about gathering lots of wives who turned the king's heart. Uh, away from the lord and this is what's going to happen we know this is what's going to happen but god's almost like foreshadowing through this that he knows that solomon's got some issues but this is the promise yes if you're faithful the temple will do what you wanted it to do and i will answer all your prayers but if you're unfaithful i will remove this and testify that i'm a living god who isn't manipulated by buildings but demands faithfulness from the heart according to his own statutes and that's God's response okay verse 10 at the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the two houses the house of the Lord and the king's house and Hiram the king of Tyre had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold as much as he desired king Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee so, do you remember they made this deal before that Hiram's going to supply all this stuff? And it was a good deal, and they had like a tight alliance. They had a very tight alliance. Um, but, and this is when Solomon's going to be kind of paying Hiram back for all the work and rewarding him for his loyalty but Hiram's not going to be happy with it but when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him they did not please him therefore he said what kind of cities are these that you've given to me my brother so they are called the land of Kabul to this day and Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold so what you have here one sense politically you understand now that Israel sees itself as superior to Tyre and that can fulfill its obligations and Israel doesn't need to be quite so faithful back. And so when it says, what kind of cities are these, my brother, that my brother is kind of ironic because Solomon isn't treating Hiram like a brother, even though they've had these close ties and this long standing working relationship. But also it's a bit of a a crack in the dam, so to speak, because Solomon's, it seems like Solomon's wisdom is failing him here. Um, You don't want to lose close allies. And probably this is in contrast to Pharaoh being talked about before. Um, Hiram of Tyre not only supplied the physical stuff needed for the temple, but the Craftsman that was working on the temple also came out of Tyre, and so this relationship is seen somewhat like a model connection between Israel and a Gentile, where it seems like they they actually are brothers, and Hiram may actually have some kind of faith in the Lord. At the very least, um, there are faithful people coming out of Tyre to serve Israel, and so this seems like a blunder on Solomon's part not to. be building up this alliance, especially in comparison to the alliance we're about to read about with Pharaoh. Verse 15, and this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house and the millow and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazar, and Meg- Megiddo and Gezer. Verse 16, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and given it as a dowry to his daughter Solomon's life. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer. So in this section that's talking about Solomon's other building projects, um, and somebody said before that this contrasts with Solomon building Um, the temple of the lord and his own temple like for the glory of god these are more self-centered building things this is him building a name for himself through his own uh, work and it's also highlighting the forced labor it's not highlighting the accomplishment but kind of the cost to the people of israel that they're being forced to work on this stuff but right after talking about solomon not pleasing the king of Tyre, now we're talking about this political alliance he had with Pharaoh, where Pharaoh invaded a a neighboring country or neighboring city and gave it to Solomon as a dowry for his daughter, reminding us that Solomon's married Pharaoh's daughter. Now remember what we read in Deuteronomy, where it says you're not supposed to go back to Egypt. Egypt is the house of slavery for Israel. Egypt is the place that God delivered them from. So you're not supposed to be going back there. So getting the wife from there, not a great thing. And receiving gifts from Pharaoh, not a great thing. Uh, Halfway through 17. And lower Beth Horon, verse 18. And Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness, in the land of Judah, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and all the land of of his dominion so solomon just on this humongous building kick and he needs cities just to store his horses and he needs cities just to store some good and he needs a city just to store all his chariots he's 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 like it's like he went on amazon and just said i'd like 10 of everything and this isn't meant to be a good thing i don't think Verse 20, and all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the people of Israel, their descendants, who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction, these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and so they are to this day. So this is in contrast to the forced labor of the Israelites. Um, here are slaves being forced to work, doing all this work. Again, but it reminds us that the conquest of the land was not complete. And there's still a pagan or Canaanite influence amongst the Israelites, which is again probably beginning to foreshadow Solomon's own divided heart. Verse 22, But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers, they were the officials, his commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. All right. Solomon builds for his own namesake. Verse twenty-three, and these were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work. Five hundred fifty were charge of the people who carried out the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the Mi- millow, so and I think that's a bit of a store, a store city. But again, like reading this theologically, um, Solomon took a portion of Israel. And made it into a house for Pharaoh's daughter. And this is not a good thing. Like Pharaoh, in one sense, has kind of gotten some property in Israel here. This is not great. Uh, Verse 25. Three times a year Solomon used to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord, so so he finished the house. Verse 26. "Um, So Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth, on the shores of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the the fleet his servants seamen who were familiar with the sea together with the servants of Solomon and they went to Ophir and pr- brought from there gold 420 talents and they were brought and they brought it to King Solomon all right later on we're going to hear more about the gold and the silver and how much there was but you can see here as you v- hear this chapter through the lens of Deuteronomy these warnings um, that you know don't go back to Egypt don't get too many chariots or horses don't get too rich, but instead say, stay close to the Lord. You can hear Solomon's disobedience to this. He's building like crazy and making forced labor. And somebody said before that forced labor is like a kind of taxation. You didn't necessarily just go get money from people when you were taxing them. You would back then you would just make them work for you for free, essentially. And that was how taxes was. And so in one sense, this is a sign that there's pretty heavy taxation on the people during this time. And so there's this, this sign that Israel this is the imperfections of Solomon and Israel coming out. He has gone back to Egypt with Pharaoh's daughter. He has begun to amass major horses and chariots. And in the next chapter, we're going to hear that these are coming from Egypt, but so much so that he needs cities just for the horses and the chariots. And so he's beginning to become more like a pagan king than he ought to. This is the trial. Um, God said it's okay to have a king, but it's not okay to have a king like the other nations because they're pagan kings. They don't act like they know God. They don't walk in the fear of the Lord. They don't obey God's law. And that's what Deuteronomy is saying. If you're going to have a king, he needs to be a man of the law. He needs to uphold the rule of Moses. And Solomon is falling away from this. And it's going to end up uh, really blowing up and really resulting in a divided kingdom. So there is verse or chapter nine for you. Just so you know, I'm publishing this, but I'm on holidays right now, and so these things are a bit pre-recorded. If anything crazy has happened, and it seems like I'm not mentioning it, it's because I was recording this beforehand. But we're working through life, and you know, as you work through a, a biblical life, I think there is supposed to be self-reflection here. We're meant to maybe even ask about ourselves, like, where's my divided heart? Um, if Solomon, who's the wisest man ever, and actually had conversations with God and was involved in some of the greatest accomplishments of the people of God under God's blessing, if he can have a divided heart over women and wealth and success, what about me? Where's my heart divided? And where do I need to return to the love and fear of the Lord by taking hold of his word and applying it to my heart and wanting to obey God in love with humility and faith as a way of rescuing myself from worldliness and through destruction? So... When we read these stories, we're not meant to just sit in judgment on Solomon. Obviously, he's already been judged in his life and and dying and going to the judgment seat of Christ. But we're meant to see the mirror of Scripture working for us. And just saying, like, where does this story expose in my heart the need to repent? And as we do that, with faith and trust in the Lord, I'm sure he will bless us. Amen.